tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. This podcast has been brought to you by Cuts by Candice. Candice Kiss is a hairstylist that listens to your needs and will work with you to get the right look for you. With 18 years of experience, Candice is the premier stylist that I trust with my look. And right now, if you mention this ad when you make an appointment from now until the end of February 2019 and give our promo code GEEKOUT, you will get 10% off your hair services. Follow Cuts by Candice on Facebook and Cuts underscore Candice on Instagram and start looking the best you, you can. The future comes and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the geeks and all the geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. Uh, John, we're not going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery this week. Yet again, we have to postpone. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, well, yet again, we're going to yeah, we're gonna move back. We, we've been pretty busy this week with uh, other projects in the in the works and um steven is also not going to be with us because he is also working on another project so we're going to talk some geek news as usual and then maybe even talk a little bit about alita battle angel because we we both went and saw that that was my valentine date (laughs) you were my valentine's date or was i your valentine's date um you know we we uh valentined each other oh okay that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> uh, all right, first news, first bit of news we want to talk about. We have two big, major casting for Denny Villeneuve's adaptation of Dune. Uh, Jason Momoa is going to be in the movie. Um, who was it? He's going to be playing. It's some like Archer or something like that. I forget what he said. What it said his name was. was kind of weapon be. trainer, I believe. Yeah. Uh, why am I? Why have I lost it? Swordmaster Momoa will portray Duncan Idaho, a swordmaster in the house of Atreides, who is the right hand man of Chalamet's father, played by Isaac. Ah, gotcha. So, how do you how do you feel about Jason Momoa? Um, I mean, at this point, I feel like it's a shorter list to say who isn't going to be in this movie. That's true because this just came out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, but I mean, Jason Momoa uh, is charming. And I'd like to see him throw an axe in everything he does. So. He is charming and entertaining. And yeah, people just love to watch him. Deans. It's just like The Rock. Like You just love to see see those those guys in things. It's just the ultimate bro. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, and then we have Josh Brolin has also joined the cast. Now, I don't remember who he's playing. Uh, Josh Brolin will portray Gurney Halleck, the war master for Chalamet's family and a mentor to his character. Patrick Stewart played the role in David Lynch's 1984 movie adaptation. Oh, I was going to say, who did Patrick Stewart play? And I was like, oh, okay. That's the character that he played. How do you feel about that? Um, I wonder if he's going to go bald for the part. <laughs> for a second, I almost, like, I know this was never happened, but I just kept thinking, like, wow, Marvel's really uh, doing the uh, cross promotions now and putting Thanos in Dune. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, he does wield the the Infinity Gauntlet, so he has all the gems. He could be in it. Yeah, reality space. Yeah, it's got all the stuff. That he needs. <laughs> I, I mean, once again, I'm kind of tired of Josh Brolin, <laughs> but then again, I don't care about Dune, so I don't know if it really makes a difference. But well, we're gonna go watch it. Are we? Yes. Okay, I'll be there. It is a thing. Yep. Yep. Now Hulu. I think it's interesting because obviously Disney is acquiring Fox. Hulu is made up of three networks, ABC, NBC, and Fox. Disney will own two of the three companies that are a part of Hulu. So Hulu is going to get its own Marvel MCU TV series, but they're going to be animated. So they're, you know, we're getting rid of the Netflix Marvel shows, but we're getting these shows and they're going to be called The Offenders. So not the defenders, but the offenders. Yeah, <laughs> and with an all-star cast of uh, characters too. It looks like. Yeah, yeah. So there's going to be one show that's going to be about Modok, one show about Hit Monkey, a show about Tigra and Dazzler, and then a show about Howard the Duck. And that's the interest. One of the interesting things about the Howard the Duck show is going to be it's it's going to be uh, written by or show ran by uh, Kevin Smith. Interesting. I wouldn't have pegged him as a Howard the Duck guy. Oh, I mean, come on. It, it Howard the Duck is just crude humor all the time. That's if he was going to write any Marvel character after doing Daredevil, it was going to be that. Well, I mean, as long as we get you know duck nipples in it, like the movie, then I will be there. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, and then Modok will be. Uh, I don't know what Patton Oswalt is going to be doing for Modok. If he's going to be doing the motion capture. Is he just going to be playing Modoc, or is he also going to be a writer, or what? But yes, he is involved in that. He'll be the life-size model. However, I do think it's interesting is that the Dazzler and uh, Tigra show. So Dazzler is a mutant. Yeah, she's the next man. So, I mean, how does that fall? I mean, I understand that they're going to be owning Fox, but like, are they able to start doing that yet? Well, if I remember correctly, the rules with animation is usually different from the film or live action ones. I guess that's true. So that's probably how they can get away with it. Uh, but that being said, yeah, like I feel like we're almost due for another resurgence of X-Men since um, we're going to be coming up to a new wave of that pretty soon. I'm sure they're going to create a new... This might be like a backdoor for like new uh, X-Men properties that are animated. Yeah. I, I mean, can see that. Because we haven't had a really good X-Men anima- uh, animation since, what, the early 90s? I mean, we like the X-Men animated show from the early 90s, but, I mean, generations after us probably liked X-Men Evolution, and then... It was bad, though. The ones after that was, what, Wolverine and the X-Men? I mean, I can't I can't fault them for liking that shit. It's just <laughs> not my stuff. Yeah, so it's not how what I grew up with. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. I will definitely be there to watch these shows. I don't know about anybody else. They're probably not going to be good. I mean... Hitmonkey's I'm- an interesting character. <laughs> it's just like this intelligent monkey that's a hitman and literally is out to kill, do contract kills. So... I mean, I had no idea who this character was, but now that you described it like that, I'm like, huh, it has potential. <laughs> I so, mean, Modoc, so, though, I, I mean, he's a giant face with like tiny arms and legs. And yes, but he's intelligent. 
But what, like, what He's else? He's a mechanic, he do? mechanized organism designed only for killing. <laughs> does he really kill though? Or I would assume so. I mean, I don't. He's the head of AIM at sometimes. I know that. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'll watch it, but it, I don't think it's gonna be great. <laughs> now, uh, you remember we we used to talk about this show called Stranger Things. I do. Yeah, and if if anybody wants more, you know, more information, they can go read John's article that he wrote about the first trade. I want to say, yeah, first, uh, uh, first four issues of a Stranger Things comic book. Yep, it's on our website. It's on the John. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, Stranger Things has a novel coming out called uh, Stranger Things Darkness on the Edge of Town, written by Adam Christopher. It will be the origin story, so to speak, of Hopper. Yeah, we'll yeah. find out more about his history, his uh, growing up in Hawkins, probably a bit more of his previous relationship with Joy Spires. I mean, if you look at the cover of the novel, they, you have the Twin Towers in there, so it's obviously going to be about him being in the big city as a cop in the big city also. Yeah, and uh, we're going to see a lot more of the backstory with his daughter, who I believe died of lymphoma or something like that. Something or, like uh, that. Um, yeah, so they'll probably be very bittersweet. And I wanted to point out, this is going to be the second novel for Stranger Things being released. Right. The first one was just uh, released. Uh, I believe it was called Suspicious Minds. And it's a sort of a backstory for Dr. Brenner and Eleven's mom. Oh, okay. So it details more about the creation of the project that led to the birth of Eleven and uh, all the, the MK, MK Ultra. Ultra stuff Yeah, that was going on. All the uh, acid, LSD experiments and mind control things that they were doing to the test subjects. So <clears throat> if they do it right, I'm hoping because I haven't read it yet, they also give you some context for some of the other experiments that they did. As we know, Eleven is obviously the 11th child in who knows how many. It's right. possible she was the last one. Uh, but in season two, we ran into... Uh, Nine? Eight. Eight, that's right. Um, who had a, a slightly different power set. So hopefully here we get to see a few more of the other test subjects and what they were up to. And maybe they'll drop some hints about what's going to be happening more in the uh, season three. So then why don't you go and explain to us what the, the comic books you read were about. So the comic books were essentially a side story. Uh, they primarily deal with season one, almost uh, side by side entirely, where you run into what's Will Byers experiences in the Upside Down. Really? You get to see how, uh, you know, from the first scenes when he comes home and it's completely empty and he gets scared because he hears something, how he ends up in the Upside Down which is really interesting because it's not like almost anybody else does where they usually get pulled through or crawl through a portal of some sort. He kind of just blinks into it. Like he just materializes into the upside down. And it's got some pretty cool ideas. But uh, as I was reading a bit more from the behind the scenes of the the publication, the author uh, essentially stated that they only gave her like so much wiggle room to kind of expand on and there wasn't a whole lot she could do because uh, you know obviously the story is very tight-lipped but they said here's what you can do if you want to talk about what will was up to in the upside down here's a few guidelines to kind of you know work within and so that's basically what they did will uh, essentially uh, explores the upside down 
He runs into the Demogorgon a couple of times, shoots it in the face until he runs out of ammo. And apparently that's enough to make it go away. I think the mere fact that although Will was kind of scared, he somehow found courage at the right times. It almost implies that that scared away the, the Demogorgon. Really? Not so much his like actual physical assault, because as we've seen, the Demogorgon's pretty formidable. Mm-hmm. You know, even with Steve Harrington's nail bat, like it still <laughs> could take a pounding. But it was more just the fact that somebody was standing up to him that looks like that's what caused it to like recoil whenever it did. Just like in Stephen King's It. Yeah, it's like simply having like belief in something um, was almost more powerful than the actual act. Uh, nevertheless, yeah, you get to see a lot of what's going on. And my favorite part of it was getting to see things from Will's point of view. Um, obviously, you know, part of the cast is, you know, those four kids. Uh, but you don't really get to see, like, how their imagination works. And in here, Will basically starts to rationalize everything as being part of one of his Dungeons & Dragons campaigns. So in some parts, the art kind of morphs into what it looks like in the in the real world to how he imagines it. Him looking like his mage character. And uh, the world being essentially uh, an area that he'd be campaigning in, complete with uh, castles and mystical monsters and so on. So, do you think that? Do you think that he got chosen for a reason, or do you think that it was just complete coincidence? I think there's definitely something about him that makes him sensitive to the upside down. Because, like I said, his experience was completely different from everyone else's. I think it's the fact that he has a vivid imagination somehow ties in to how that works. And as I said, most other people that we see and that end up in the Upside Down either get taken there by the Demogorgon or somehow crawl through one of those, you know, portals that appears that looks like a like a fleshy wound in the reality uh, or the fabric of reality. Um, he just kind of materializes from his normal <clears throat> world into that place and then after he leaves he can still see the upside down we see glimpses of that in the uh season finale of season one Mm -hmm. uh, where like the bathroom momentarily transforms into the upside down and then goes back to normal well that also happens in the comic but a little more creepily um once he gets rescued he's in the hospital and it's very similar to how it looks in the uh, in the show uh, but there's a brief scene where he looks at his mom and his brother, and they're talking to him, but they look like desiccated corpses. Ooh. And that's not something that we've seen in the show before. You know, in the Upside Down, it's basically just an empty shell of the real world. Um, and the only other people there were people that were basically victims of the Demogorgon that were brought in there. This is the first time you see what a real person in the real world would look like through the Upside Down. And it was, like, pretty gnarly. Hmm. And, you know, he convinces himself, okay, this is just my imagination. Later on, of course, in season two, we realize that, no, that really is happening to him. He's, like, kind of flashing back and forth. He's still connected to the Upside Down. And we also get a little Easter egg of the the Mind Flayer, which, you know, we don't actually see in the show until season two. And here, they set him up that he's part of the Upside Down as well. So, I thought it was kind of neat that they have a few little throwbacks to kind of help correlate both of them together also apparently uh mike wheeler is a stephen king fan which of, of course, course he, he would is. be yeah uh yeah there's a scene in a flashback where he's reading the dark tower and uh he's plainly says oh i'm, I'm reading this for ideas on our next campaign i was like aha interesting 
what if he is some kind of what if he's like one of the MK Ultra experiments and all this sci-fi shit that he's been doing just like ends up is what created like his subconscious created the the upside down. If Will's subconscious did it, yeah, that would be a very Silent Hill thing, <laughs> and I'd be totally into it because I mean we didn't get to see him a whole lot in season one. Yeah, but the kid that plays Will Byers is like freaking awesome. Oh, like, really? I thought he was a great actor. Yeah, I really liked how he just threw himself into season two. Like, mm-hmm. he definitely looked like he had, like, PTSD from yeah. his experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the way that Mike related to him, you can tell that Mike is the one that he has the closest relationship oh, to. Oh, yeah. And that is also something that they kind of hint at in the comic book as well. Uh, whenever they're having a genuine moment, it's always between the two of them. And whenever it's the four of the boys with also uh, Lucas and Dustin, right? Lucas and Dustin kind of look down on him a little bit. Yeah, they're the he's the one that they they kind of like uh, see as the outsider of their group or the 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 low man on the totem pole. Yeah, he's basically the piss ant. <laughs> so <clears throat> yeah, I thought it was kind of neat that they did in fact kind of show that a little bit more in the uh, in the comic, and like I I mean. I can definitely say I feel like they caught the spirit of the characters pretty well. Uh, the only thing I would say I didn't like about it is simply the fact that uh, given the restrictions that the author was given, or the the writer, they don't really expand on the mythology. You just kind of get to see a lot of the uh, detail that was only implied to in the show. Um so it wasn't needed because you got that information essentially through other contexts. But here, at least, it's in graphic format. It's definitely a very visual uh, story with very minimal dialogue except for flashback conversations. And every now and then, you get to see Will's thoughts as well. Hmm. Uh, but there's very little narration. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, one thing I also would say I didn't like so much is that they did something I didn't like, which is they retroactively included will in a lot of key scenes that he wasn't like officially a part of in the show no so for instance he gets to see or he hears barb screaming uh so chronologically like around the time that nancy is at steve's house they're having that little you know party Mm -hmm. um around that same time he's exploring the town trying to make sense of where he is what's going on he hears somebody scream so he goes over and he ends up in behind uh you know, um, Steve Harrington's, Harrington's house, and finds her glasses. And, you know, obviously he doesn't know whose glasses these belong to or who it was that was, you know, yelling. But we do because, you know, if we watch the show, then we know exactly what happened there. Right. So there was a lot of that. And I don't like that where, you know, the character has no idea what just happened or what he was witnessing. But we do. I feel like that kind of robs it a little bit of any narrative impact because mm. at this point, the character's just kind of like Forrest Gumping his way through it, essentially. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's kind of not giving it the credit it deserves, but it does that a lot. Uh, he also runs into a few other people. I guess the biggest sin in my eyes that this thing does is that scene where Nancy and Jonathan um, are looking for Will in the woods and then Nancy goes through the portal and ends up in the Upside Down briefly. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently Will Byers was there too. No. And he got to see her from like a distance. And um, rather than kind of giving his position away to help him get found, 
he actually distracts the Demogorgon. So in a way, he actually saves Nancy. Oh. Of course, that's never shown in the uh, no in the the show. That's just they like I said, they just retroactively kind of force that in there. It fits. It just feels like yeah. I mean, so essentially, Will was just everywhere that he needed to be in the upside down while uh, we don't see him he's like the uh the deus ex machina <laughs> revealed well yeah, it's all very interesting so if uh you want to hear more what john thought about the four issues that he read you go check it out on our website geeklymedia.com yeah and look forward to more uh, reviews of uh the sort for me of the sort yeah yeah keep an eye out for his uh his column so to speak on our website on the john uh Another thing that happened this week, Disney or the MCU or however you want to put it, um, launched a Captain Marvel website for the movie, and it is all rocked out in true 90s website fashion. Dude, that is like GeoCities yep. AF. <laughs> Straight up GeoCities nonsense. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of different games. There's uh, the old lady from the bus keeps popping up on the side, and you can punch her. There's a there's a guest book you can sign. There's multimedia. There's all kinds of flashing everything. Like the background constantly changes. It's it's kind of hilarious. Yeah, I really love the low res backgrounds too. Like <laughs> that really sells it for me. Um, from what I understand, there are uh, source code Easter eggs in here that other people have found and and did stuff with. I have not, but. If you're savvy to those type of things, you should go check it out. Oh, man. This takes me back. <laughs> Who are the scrolls? Scroll or human? You know, it's, it's all kinds of weird shit on here. This reminds me, one of my first computers, I must have had a folder with, like, thousands of these little animations, like the fire. Yep. And the little uh, things that pop out at you. <laughs> Do you think that someone went and just made it, like, the way that you would have back in the 90s? Like the team, did they make it that way? So it should have been super simple, or do you think there there's it's a lot of complicated stuff to make it, or like they used a lot of modern stuff to make it into looking nineties? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this was like HTML five that they had to somehow figure out how to make it look <laughs> really really bad. Uh, I mean, uh, like you can't even make like gifs like that on purpose. Like you have to go into your settings on Photoshop and like <laughs> really, really play around with it to get it to look that bad. And then I like this, this last thing was the, like, as you get to the, what you think is the bottom of the page, you keep going further. And then all of a sudden there's just a dude in, in the middle of a black void and like you can scroll over him and he lights up, but nothing happens. So I'm, I'm assuming there's a Easter egg there. Even yeah, if you click on it. It looks like he's moving a little bit. Is he? I can't see it from here. Yeah, it looks like he's like breathing or something. His like chest is heaving up and down a little. So yeah, Captain Marvel website. Everybody go check that out. Um Aquaman. So Into the Trench. So that? one, Aquaman is now in the top twenty um of movies that have made or the that the 20 highest grossing movies of all time. How? I don't know. How? I don't. I really don't know. Damn you, China. <laughs> but yes, it has made all the money. And they have talked about a spinoff. I mean, they're they definitely doing Aquaman 2. 
But they are talking about a spinoff from the movie based solely on the trench. This is this is terrible. This is what's wrong with DC movies. They focus on the wrong shit when they're making their movies. Look, I get it. Everybody thinks that they love horror movies. You ask any casual moviegoer, what's your favorite type of movie? They're going to say a horror movie. And they're going to say, then you ask them, oh, what was the last good horror movie you saw? Oh, they don't make good horror movies anymore. It's like it's always going to go back to something in their childhood. Oh, when I, the first time I watched The Exorcist, that was the scariest shit ever. Oh, the first time I watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. The first Nightmare on Elm Street, it was amazing. You know, like it's always going to be something from when they were a kid. You know why? Kids don't have real problems. They don't have real scary shit where they have to worry about how they're going to make their rent. You know, is uh, is 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 uh, are the are the taxes going to be you know too much for them to pay? All that kind of stuff. They don't have real problems. They don't have a family to worry about. So once you become an adult. Going to see a scary movie doesn't work on you anymore. You know what worked on me for a scary movie? Contagion. You know why? Because a disease goes through the country. People start going crazy and shooting their neighbor because their neighbor has a can of chili. That's what's scary to me now. Oh, yeah. The Road, I think, is probably one of the scariest movies. Exactly. That the, the collapse of civilization, which I think is on the horizon, too. I think a lot of these movies are very prophetic. Probably, probably so. You know, but it, we got to last long enough so I can see all these Marvel and DC movies. Well, maybe not the DC ones if they're going to make the <laughs> trench. So everybody's like, oh, the trench was the best part of the movie. James Wan himself was like, I was when I was making this movie, the trench was the most exciting thing. What is this movie going to be about? What What is it going to be about? They yeah. want to make a horror movie set in the DC universe. It, it's you have a you don't even have an idea right now. You have a concept like. You're going to just find some no-name actors to be in a movie where they were on a boat and all of a sudden they find themselves in the area of the ocean that's the trench. And then all of a sudden, hey, what are they going to do to survive? Like, that is a dumb movie. That is a dumb horror movie. And it's going to be a part, officially a part of the DCFU. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, it, I'm not even going to get a, a Green Lantern movie and they're gonna, we're going to get a trench movie first. Well, those uh, fish monsters had a lot more personality, I guess, than the the Green Lantern Corps did in the last movie. <sighs> what the Green, the Green Lantern Corps was barely in the Justice League. And that's actually, to be fair though, I mean, like, doesn't that fish monster there kind of look a little bit like Tomar Ray? <laughs> yes, it does look a little bit like Tomar Ray. Maybe it's going to be a backdoor Green Lantern movie. Maybe find out Tomar Ray was actually a trench monster. Oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> look, I'm just saying, make that movie have it nothing to do with DC. I mean, I'd be psyched if they did like took took the concept and made something that's like Eldritch horror. I mean, you know, I love Lovecraftian right. horror stuff. We're way overdue for something like that, and uh, get someone like Guillermo del Toro to direct it. Yes, you should definitely get Guillermo del Toro to direct something like that. Will yeah. he do it? Probably not, because no. he wanted to do Justice League Dark, and they fucked him over on that. He wanted to do The Hobbit. They took it away from him. Yeah, he wanted so, to do In the Mouth of Madness. So or, he's he's probably at this point he's probably like fuck you Warner Brothers. But I don't know. I I, I am so disappointed in us <laughs> as a society that the trench is going to be made into a movie. 
You the fact what? that Aquaman is one of the 20 highest grossing movies of all time is already disappointing, but the trench being made into a movie upsets me. You know what, though? At the end of the day, if something as ridiculous as this Aquaman movie and this coming trench thing, if, <laughs> if anything, it teaches DC, it's like, oh, okay, people will respond to something that's a little different than this dour, downcast Zack Snyder verse thing that we had going on. You're right. Maybe it'll help them course correct and they'll find their way. You know, it, it obviously seems like the biggest problem we had was Snyder and they've kind of pushed him off to the wayside. Yeah. So maybe things will start going the right way now. And I hope so. And then all of a sudden you're going to find out that every movie is going to be a horror movie. <laughs> every DC movie. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, I don't know. Who, who, who do you want to pick? From it's the Flash. The Flash movie is going to be a horror movie. It's going to be all about lightning striking people and killing them. I mean, some some DC characters more so than Marvel lend themselves to horror really well. Yeah, I, I yeah I can see that. Swamp Thing was kind of a whole body horror movie. Yeah, that could, that's definitely out. a body horror movie. Yeah, yeah, and um, I mean Solomon Grundy, he's a zombie essentially, right? We're not getting a movie about Solomon Grundy. I'm just saying it's a thing. <laughs> it's out there. Well, if you're going to do that, you could turn the Hulk into a horror movie. You have, you know, Dead Man that could be playing around with that. Actually, you know what I would really like Blade to see? Blade could be a horror movie. Blade was a horror movie. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's a Marvel character that could be horror. Yeah, that's true. We need more Marvel horror. They kind of steered away from that. It just became campy towards the end. Yeah. I don't care what you say. The third one sucks. The third, oh, the third, I love the third, shut up. It's not campy. You saw it when you were a child. So I was not a child. <laughs> I was adult. I was in college. You know what I would like to see, though, as a, a straight up, like, really good horror movie uh, with DC? I'd love to see, like, a Black Hand movie. Ooh, that like, would be interesting. Like Just that, do Blackest Night all together. Yeah, like, like have that be, like, a backdoor for the whole Brightest Day thing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you have to definitely establish him as a character. And if you have a whole movie just based on him, basically being a serial killer and all that, mm-hmm. and then just throw in superpowers and emotional spectrum at the end, you have the makings of a really good movie. Somebody like, uh, like uh, who would be a good horror director? Shyamalan? Nah, he'd want to no. throw a twist on it. <laughs> uh, I was like, no, the real. I don't know. I mean, you got emotion was in you. The ones that they're already the ones that they're already working with. It's like Andy's. Uh, it's not Andy. Is it Andy Samberg? Is it Andy? I don't know. He's the one that's making the Shazam movie. He's a horror movie guy. He made Lights Out. Um, James Wan himself, obviously. Yeah, somebody that has uh, some Blumhouse or... You can get the guy who made Paranormal Activity, whoever that was. Is that also I think that James was Wan? James Wan, yeah. Okay, never mind then. But anyway, yeah. like I, I feel like that's something that they can try. There's always it's- people making horror movies. All the time. The lady who made Babadook. I imagine she could probably do a really good job at Blackhand. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see something like that. Just straight up psycho dude that kills his family and is obsessed with death. You could do... And you should get James uh, Josh Brolin to play Blackhand. I hate you so much. <laughs> Why? Why do you do these things, John? Well, he has experience with different colored stones or whatever <sighs> on, a, on a hand ornament. Shut up. All right. We're going to do something else to, we're going to talk about something else to clean, cleanse the palate. So Nickelodeon, remember when we were in the nineties, not too long ago for Captain Marvel, apparently, but yeah, in the nineties, all those TV shows from the nineties are going to be getting resurgences and spinoffs for over at Nickelodeon. So 
Uh, one of the big ones is SpongeBob. SpongeBob is getting this, even though they make new episodes now, they're getting a spinoff of all the other characters that Bikini Bob Bottom are going to be involved in. Spinoff show. Interesting. Have you ever heard the fan theory of uh, Bikini Bottom? Nope. I, I know nothing about SpongeBob. I've never seen an episode. Uh, they, some of these actually go pretty deep. Um, so apparently, Bikini Bottom is named so because it takes place underneath the Bikini Atoll Islands where they performed uh, nuclear experiments. Okay. Um, SpongeBob was created by an actual, I believe, marine biologist. And he started it kind of as a way to explain marine biology to children. Oh. And it just became adapted to, like, this series of cartoons. So I guess there's a lot of, like, really deep, like, deep-cut marine biology humor in the show. (laughs) That's just, like, ridiculous. Some marine biologist just watches it episode. He's like, ah! Yeah, basically. It's like like ultimate inside jokes for just people that work at SeaWorld, essentially. And um, yeah, so supposedly all of these uh, characters were affected by radiation, which is why they're the way they are. Well, they're a talking sponge and a talking starfish. Yeah. And-, and then my other second favorite fan theory about SpongeBob is that it's all innuendo. <laughs> so essentially, SpongeBob is, uh, well, the bikini. they live in Bikini Bottom. Right which is also kind of uh, another way of saying, you know, a female's lady bits. Right. And uh, SpongeBob is essentially supposed to be uh, like a tampon. Jesus. Patrick is the starfish. So he would be the rear end. Yeah. And then Sandy Cheeks is, well, the the butt. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know about Squidward. Maybe he's got something going on with that flute that he plays but yeah there's a i guess some some really why do you want to ruin things for for children why 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 well no see you like things as a child but then as you grow older you realize there was another layer Mm, i don't know about all that (laughs) anyways they're gonna be doing other shows uh all that is getting a revival show keenan thompson himself you know now famous for snl is gonna come is gonna be executive producer uh so I guess kids sketch comedy. I guess so. I'm assuming they're going to bring back a lot of the regulars. I mean, I don't know who. I don't even remember who. Like, I what wasn't Nick Cannon on that show for a little I bit? I think so. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. Amanda Bynes was. I remember that. Yes. And there's also Kel Mitchell, who obviously Keenan and Kel had their own show. Yep. Yeah. Um, Burger. Yeah, and then they did Good Burger, which was a sketch from all that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what who any of the other people are where they are what they're doing so i'm sure they're not too busy they're still alive yeah um i don't know i don't know about this and then uh we also have a paddington show coming out a 3d paddington show and ben winshaw winshaw is going to be voicing him just like he does in the two uh live action movies oh i didn't know that was his voice yeah Mm, Uh, he plays q in the new um James Bond movies, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. He also played... Uh, I forget his character's name. He was the one one of the actors in Cloud Atlas. Yes, yeah. He was one of the actors in Cloud, Cloud Atlas. I remember that. Uh, and then we also have a new show for Are You Afraid of the Dark? So that even though there's going to be a movie coming out here pretty soon, they are going to bring back a show version again. You know, I remember watching a lot of this stuff on the on Nickelodeon in the 90s and of course in the 90s uh, i went from being uh in my early teens to be in my late teens mm-hmm. pretty much exactly with the progression of the 90s mm-hmm. so towards the end i really started losing interest in a lot of what they were doing right 
But a part of me is just kind of curious, maybe even morbidly curious about just reviving all the 90s stuff. And it's also kind of depressing because it makes me think, okay, now we're moving past the 30-year cycle where the 80s nostalgia is starting to kind of wane. And we're going to start moving into like the Jenko pants and the, <laughs> the, the bright, vivid neon. Oh, man. The day glow stuff? Yeah. All that stuff. Oh, I also forgot. They're going to do a reboot show series for um, Rugrats. And then they're also going to do a live action series for the Rugrats. Oh, I don't know what you do with a live action series of the Rugrats. I mean, it, I mean, it's gonna have to be like a mix of CGI. There's no way you can do Rugrats, especially with some of those perspectives in live action. Yeah, you're gonna have to have a lot of fisheye lens or something to yeah. make it look bigger. <laughs> no, that, that's you know what, and that's funny. One of the great things about 90s animation on Nickelodeon, especially, is that they tried a lot of different things for a very long time, especially because of the 80s. You had a lot of Hanna Barbera and. Um, filmation type animation which was fine but it was very flat Mm -hmm. and then nickelodeon came around in the the early to mid 90s with ren and stimpy and rugrats and doug um and i feel like they really revitalized a lot of the 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 animation it's just like hey there's more than one way you can do it not everything has to look like gi joe or transformers and i remember really being a really big fan of doug at the Mm -hmm. time so much so that when they um, they canceled it and they brought it back on ABC, I believe. Yeah. Um, the animation was so different and so much lower quality that I refused to watch it. <laughs> I was like, no, this isn't my Doug. And like it, to the point where like I could actually tell like Doug's like pattern on his shirt had like texture on it. And then for the reimagining uh, of it, it was flat again. Like it, it had none of that mm. kind of three dimensional look to it. Okay. And I was like, no, like they're they're obviously trying to like cheap out on it. And like, I'd never even bothered afterwards. But yeah, like there's something more about just that the way that it captures a certain time in the 90s, those particular shows when they came out, they were really fresh and original. I mean, Red and Stimpy was like a show that I both loved and hated. I love that it was so different and wacky and just unapologetically insane. But I also really hated some of the gross out stuff that they did on it. Like the extreme close-ups of their pores right, and yeah. boogers and stuff. Yeah, I was like, oh, come on. But that was another one of those shows that was supposed to be like mature and adult that they kid down for for Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because then later when they did revive it, it was On like, MTV? F- yeah, and then I think FX, no, Spike TV. Spike. Spike TV had it for a while. Mm-hmm. And then they eventually released like uncensored versions as well. Yeah. That were just, I mean, yeah, those were like hard R's. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, the 90s, to me, I don't feel quite as nostalgic for, maybe because to me it's still a bit too recent. It seems like it, it but it's 20 years ago. 20 years ago, yeah. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, like it's like you said, when you're a kid, you know, you don't have certain problems and you look at things a certain way. Mm -hmm. I think that's how I was with the 80s. The 90s is when I started losing that. Mm -hmm. So, like, my attachment to it is not quite as fond. That makes sense. Uh yeah, so there's that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff coming back for for Nickelodeon, which I am completely surprised by. Ghostbusters, we got the Jason Reitman remake or sequel sequel that we're yeah. gonna be doing. Uh, well, proper they, sequel, proper sequel. Well, we have a br- rundown of two of the unnamed lead characters that are gonna be in the new movie. So we have unnamed lead boy number two to play. 12 years, 12 years old, slender, pale, dark hair, piercing blue eyes, 
aquiline features. I don't know what that means. Aquiline. Uh, high cheekbones, withdrawn. He's prodigious, bright, witty, so, uh, stubborn, and remains playful in spite of hardships. He's also a brilliantly quick thinker under pressure, is as at ease with technology, and has a high facility for pro- problem solving. Unnamed lead girl, too, to play 13 years old, fun-loving, a bit of an airhead, always curious, haunted, charmed, and dazed. What do you think about these two br- rundowns? Sounds like Molly and the kid from uh, Castle Rock. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Look, I don't understand why we're getting 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds. Casting calls for that. Like, why are children going to be... Like, when they said younger, I just assumed, like, maybe seniors in high school, maybe freshmen in college. But this is, what, 12 and 13 is, what, junior high? I'm assuming they're going to be um, these characters that they're naming are going to be central to the plot, as in yeah, they're like magical based, or maybe they're being haunted. I mean, I would assume that yeah, they're going to be they're both going to be like the the way into like revitalizing the Ghostbusters or something. You know, they're going to be oh my goodness, there's ghosts here, and the one kid's going to be smart enough to start fixing stuff or doing stuff, but then he gets himself into in, in over his head, so then they have to go find the Ghostbusters. Oh, they're, so they're going to get the kid from Iron Man 3, basically? <laughs> sure. I, he's probably around the right age right now. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I mean, clearly what they're going to try to do is do a passing of the torch type storyline. But see, th- even if you're passing the torch, you're not passing it to 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds. How do we know? That because that's dangerous. You don't put them. You don't strap a proton pack onto the back of a thirteen-year-old. Hey, as long as they don't cross the streams, that's the first. Unless thing they you teach need you to, in like phys ed or something. <laughs> phys ed. Uh, look, I, I just I don't I don't get it. I'm gonna go see it, whatever it is. But I just don't get it yet. Like I want was it the extreme Ghostbusters? Is that what it was? Where yeah. they had the kids the, also from the nineties, the, yeah. the young, the younger Ghostbusters that were there replacements or interns you had the goth chick the nerdy dude in a wheelchair was uh, he nerdy i thought he was a jock was was the jock i thought the the one in the wheelchair was the jock oh okay i don't remember correctly but i i have that feeling yeah and then they had the the street tough guy yep so and then another girl was there two girls i think there was two girls and two boys i thought it was three guys and one girl I don't remember. I'll have to Google it later. Yeah. But anyway, you know what? I wasn't a big fan of the Extreme Ghostbusters. I, it was good enough for me. I like that they, there was some continuity with the original series at yep. least, but um, it's just the fact that it was called Extreme Ghostbusters just told me that this was some kind of marketing but thing. But that was the 90s. Everything was extreme. Exactly. I mean, Mountain Dew marketed their whole, their whole brand around it. Exactly. And I think that's why it missed the mark because this thing was more a product of you know, like research and, uh, you know, study groups or whatever, the, uh, the uh, test groups, than actually making something that was like a decent continuation. It could have just been called Ghostbusters The Next Generation. That's cliched. It's overdone. <laughs> but it's, you know, explains exactly what it is. Extreme Ghostbusters, it wasn't really extreme. It wasn't extreme. It You're didn't right. It have anything. I mean, there was no like Red Bull chugging or... <laughs> 
There was no, uh, you so, know. So like, if they did have Red Bull chugging, you would have been okay with the series? If they had like skateboarding or something, <laughs> I mean, I would have been like, okay, I get it. Extreme. Yeah. Like they're, you know, doing a, you know, 1080 spin while like zapping ghosts. I, I'm sure. pretty sure I remember there's an episode where the guy in the wheelchair does like a whole bunch of like 1080 spins and stuff like that. That's why I think he was the jock because he was a jock before he got into his accident and then he's in the wheelchair and he's doing like murder ball or whatever. He's, he's murder balling on yeah. Ghostbusting. Yeah, exactly. See, that would have been a better title. Like Ghostbusters murder, murder Ball? Murder Balling Ghostbusters, yeah. <laughs> or Murder Busters. Murder Busters. Look, I, I'm just saying, it was. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. It was a cartoon. I think I probably watched like a handful of episodes and it, it went away. So you didn't really have to worry about it. But Yeah, that's true. I could just pretend it never happened. That's true. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what to expect from this. Okay, Brave New World. It's a book. Do you know anything about that book? I think I read that when I was like in high school. Well, guess what? It's going to be made into a TV series over at uh, USA. It was going to be on Sci-Fi Channel, but apparently NBC Universal thinks it's so good that putting it on USA Network is going to be better. Is that Bendis? No, that is uh, Grant Morrison. Oh. Grant Morrison is uh, the writer of the show. Oh, that's the other bald guy. Yeah. Ald- Aldous Huxley is, I believe, the other picture of the guy. Right you know, there. I feel like A Brave New World is one of those stories that gets remade like every few years and it's usually like direct to video or uh, like made for TV mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever been done like cinematically and it should be. I feel like it's one of the ones that they, they always like uh, crowbar in or like essentially you have a story and they're like, oh, it's kind of a homage to A Brave New World. Like... They're they're doing the story without directly doing the story, so it's like they basically just copied the the book and used word to replace a few words here and there. Well, not so much that it's more like how we were talking about uh, Resident Evil a couple weeks back. How it's it's Alice in Wonderland. Oh, okay. But like a just a stupid version of it. Okay, yeah. So th- it's like I feel like other it's people the shorthand for it. Yeah, like other people do do the same thing with Brave New World. Yeah, definitely. What's the story? Do you know the story behind Brave New? World? What, what's the plot? Uh, yeah, Brave New World, I believe, is the one where <clears throat> one of the characters, um, this is the one where they have Soma, I believe, the drug that kind of regulates your mood or something. And um, one of the characters who grew up outside of the system is kind of introduced to basically an, or- an Orwellian uh, society where... Uh, you know, everybody is just super materialistic and uh, there's no real free independent thought. And um, it's, I might be confusing this one a little bit with 1984 and Fahrenheit 451, but like all these, you know, young adult novels before there were young adult novels from the, the 70s and 80s and stuff. But uh, yeah, like it's basically... Um, it's it's a dystopian nightmare that's main, meant to look like a utopia from the inside, but from an outside perspective, is like how can you guys live like this? Uh, it's kind of reminds me a lot of Equilibrium, mm. if you've seen that one with uh, Christian Bale. Yep. Uh, yeah. So like even in that one, they have the same thing. They have a, like a drug that regulates your mood, so you're always peaceful and easy uh, to so, control. Yeah. Um, but in reality, there's also like this really like over overly powerful government that has no problem doing whatever it needs to to maintain the status quo. Um, my cliff notes right now is probably like 
spinning at home <laughs> on this one, but like I believe that's what this one was. Okay, so yeah, definitely uh, keep an eye out for that on USA Network. Okay, so we're getting to the thing that John really likes. Apparently, they're deciding to make two live-action TV series based in the Alien Ridley Scott Alien universe. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about the Transformers one. One of them is going to be in Hulu. <clears throat> well, I thought I heard this was refuted not too long ago. So what? are they still going along with this? Uh, let's see. This is as of February 13th. Okay, because so I Wednesday. remember seeing something recently where Ridley Scott was like, there's absolutely no plans to do any TV shows of any kind for Alien. According to a source, one of the one of them is said to have Ridley Scott as an executive producer and is going to be for Hulu. I would imagine that this his production company, Scott Free Productions, would be involved as they're, they've had previous interest in television projects, including Ridley's current project, an Android series titled Raised by Wolves for TNT which is not alien-related, and it's another time thing entirely that is filming in Cape Town, South Africa. Interesting. Um, the alien one, if that's true that they're making it, I kind of hope they don't. Because hmm. the alien thing, it's so specific, and his attempts to try to broaden the, the mythology have so far face-planted, in my opinion. Like, he had a great opportunity with Prometheus, and he, I think he blew it, by, <laughs> especially by bringing Damon Lindelof I know. Jeez, every time we talk about this, bringing Damon Lindelof and how he ruined Alien for you. I rue the day <laughs> Lindelof came aboard. And then Covenant was just him trying to course correct the same way that DC does. Yep. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, all you guys want is the Alien? Well, fine, here. Here's all the Aliens. Everything's like a retread of the first movie essentially except the characters are really stupid now (laughs) i'll just make the worst decisions and it's all about god yeah well it's supposed to be i mean that i think the ancient aliens was a great angle for this thing but he just abandoned it he's like no i guess everybody just really doesn't want the aliens after all so that's what it's all what it's going to be about but it's like you can only have so many jaws movies before it gets kind of ridiculous and by the (laughs) end of it the Joss monster is essentially like possessed by some voodoo spirit, and it can growl like a dinosaur. That actually is what Part Four is all about. It's essentially the the shark is possessed by a voodoo spirit that hates that family. That's probably what Tommy Wiseau's Big Shark movie is going to be. I hope so. I, I hate you. Tommy Wiseau is. Uh, Why are you? He's a nauteur. I hate you. <laughs> he's the hidden genius. He'll be like uh, one of those artists that people won't appreciate until like. No one years. should ever appreciate Tommy Wiseau ever. <laughs> Not now, not ever. He has a dream, and he has the financing. <laughs> we have no easy, we have no idea how he has the financing. No, but yeah, he has that's it. true. Uh, okay, you had one story that you wanted to talk about. Yes, my one story that I've just been dying to talk about. So, <clears throat> Rooster Teeth, and I guess Paramount, whoever owns the rights to Transformers, are going to be working. Hasbro. Hasbro. Oh yeah, they my, have the the Spark. My, yeah, all Spark. Yeah. So. They're going to be working on a prequel series, I'm assuming to the Bumblebee movie, uh-huh. um, but hopefully more in line with the War for Cybertron and Fall of Cybertron video games that essentially cover that time frame. Everything that led up to the War for Cybertron 
Uh, and then, of course, eventually the fall of Cybertron, which is what we see at the very beginning of the Bumblebee movie. And I say we, even though I technically didn't see the movie. I only watched <laughs> that clip on YouTube because I've been told that that's the best part of the movie. So I'm going to as well save my money. There you go. So, yes, I'm like, take all the money to make this because <laughs> I am so down. Now, we talked about this earlier, but I'm a big fan of Rooster Teeth. I've been a follower of theirs since Red versus Blue became a thing. Uh, I was a big Halo fan, which led me to find them, which I watched a lot of their stuff as they've, you know, gone along. And for a company that's been around since I want to say 2001, 2002, maybe like they've really made some strides. Like now they produce several different uh, live action series. They've done, I believe, two movies at this point, Uh, original animation and the even the red versus blue which originally started as just machinima which for those that don't know it's a type of animation where you just control the characters through a video game console and you just kind of dub over them uh, essentially it's like really really cheap uh previs or animatics using uh, you know the engine of the video game well they at some point i think it was season f- 6 or 7 of the red versus blue they got a really good animator and they just started animating their own um, animation for Red versus Blue and that carried over to some of their other series as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they no longer were uh, basically tied down to what the system could do. Now they had the full freedom of whatever their imaginations could do. And the um, the Maya software, I believe, the mm-hmm. animation software. So it's been great watching them grow as a company. Um, I've always dreamed of working with them or for them. And uh, Bernie Burns had a great quote once. He's the, I guess, the main guy from Rooster Teeth. He says, uh, you know, always try to work hard enough that your idols become your rivals. Wow. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this now. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm waiting to see when we're going to jump into the animation business so that we can uh, get just, right up there. Just need to learn. You just need to learn how to animate. We, <laughs> we can be there. I think I'll just go right into the motion capture. Okay. Give me one of Doug Jones's old suits. <laughs> Well, we, we had the green screen. You can you, you, you can start motion capturing. Uh, all right. Well, that's interesting. You know, it's all. I'm I'm all for more uh, Transformer stuff. You know, I like the la- I like Bumblebee. It was okay. The last few Transformers movies proper were not great, but I haven't even seen them. It's okay. Yeah, missing much. However, I want to talk about Stephen Chow. Stephen Chow came out during an interview for. Um, a movie he's doing right now called, or that he's promoting right now, it's called the the New King of Comedy over in China. Uh, but he wanted to say that he is planning, or he revealed that he is planning a, a official sequel to Kung Fu Hustle. Kung Fu Hustle Two is going to be a thing. Now the the weird thing is is that it will not be a traditional sequel, but more of a spiritual follow up that actually takes place in modern day. If you remember, if you watched. The Kung Fu Hustle, um, I believe it takes place in like the 30s or something like that. Yeah, very like uh, Al Capone gangsterish. Yeah, yeah. Even and, though it was in China. And yeah, but it's in China and stuff. And uh, yeah, so I don't know why it will be an update. I mean, it is from 2004, so it's already 15 years old. But it's I love that movie. Like uh, Shaolin Soccer is another one of my favorites. Uh, that movie, he's got uh, CG7, which is, is all about an alien that, you know, teaches how to do Kung Fu, I believe. I don't remember. But it's it's also good. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I'm all for it. He, I think he made that mermaid movie, the one that you you kind of see people. It's like you see the clip of it that that goes around online all the time for American people because I don't think you can you, you people American audiences saw the movie, but it's like a mermaid getting shot with arrows and stuff, or like harpoons, like as she's trying to escape, but it's getting pulled down and stuff like that. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I have not seen that. That sounds crazy. I'll have to show it to you. <laughs> um, yeah. I I'm all for Kung Fu Hustle too. It makes me kind of weary, you know, for the fact that it's gonna be set in modern day. But sure, why not? Maybe they got a good take on it. Maybe I assume he does. It's it's his stuff. He writes and and directs it and stars in it. So, top more power to him. Yeah, I love uh, Shaolin Soccer as well. I feel like there wasn't enough kung fu in it though i mean i like the idea of it it was like hey and he even states it in the movies like i want to show i want to see how people can use kung fu in everyday life instead of just fighting each other kind of thing and like it's literally how can kung fu make you a better soccer player i i was a big fan of how to use kung fu for parallel parking yes exactly like how do you how do you do it so the car doesn't get destroyed but still gets into the spot like well you got to focus your chi yeah you know, like so that it hits past the vehicle there you go so it's it's more moving with the the motion instead of exactly. the impact of the of the hit yeah with it not against it there you go i hope they bring back the uh the goalie that looked like bruce lee though that was awesome <laughs> Uh, which he's also in Kung Fu Hustle, so oh, he he, he actually he, he I think he usually has a lot of the same people in his stuff. No, I hope so. It'd be really cool. Uh, all right, so that takes us to the end of our news section. Segment we have a little bit of time. We'll go ahead and talk about Alita: Battle Angel, which I want to say right now I loved. I thought it was a great movie. Um, I see where they're setting it up for the sequel. Uh, I see where I see the influences of Rod Rodriguez and James Cameron. So. I definitely thought that this was a win for me. I'm di- di- disappointed that it did not make more money over the weekend, and which in you know directly means that they probably won't get that sequel. But yeah, I don't see this getting any follow up. It didn't make Avatar money, unfortunately. No, um, and I wonder if that's because it didn't have James Cameron attached as a director. As a director, because I mean, I, I feel like you couldn't really have made this movie any better than what it was. Um, I went into this with kind of minimal expectations. I know that Cameron's been working on this since like the late 80s or the late 90s, I'm seeing, I mean. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, it's, it's been something that he's piling around for quite some time. I remember when it was called Battle Angel Alita. Mm. And then I remember that they said something to the effect of like, oh, well, Cameron's not going to work on that for now. He's focusing on Dark Angel instead, um, which is like a late 90s, early 2000s show with... Uh, uh, Mrs. Fantastic, what's her name? Jessica. Oh, you talking about Dark, Dark Angel? Yeah, Dark yeah. Angel. Yeah, yeah. Is that what I said? It yeah. was, okay, that was a great show. I like that show. Yeah, I think I saw one episode and I was like, yeah, that's okay, I guess. <laughs> it's a it's... set in a future world after an EMP goes off and just, you know, kind of sets everybody into a utopian or oh, dystopian so world. Kind of like, uh, what was that one show that had the power symbol as its logo? Oh, Evolution? Yeah, Evolution was uh, was not a good show. Well, that's a shame because it looked like it had a pretty good premise. John Favreau was attached as the director of the first episode and the executive producer of the whole show. Oh, tangent to that. Uh, apparently, The Mandalorian has wrapped production oh, for really? season one. Uh, I think it was John Favreau that posted a picture of The Mandalorian's helmet 
with I guess the whole cast and crew sign uh, signatures on it. Nice, it's indicating that they're done with it now. So yeah, those little Star Wars minute. So maybe we'll be up. seeing some promos or trailers for it here pretty soon. That'd I be hope pretty so. awesome. I mean, yeah. it's, the closer that they come to launching Disney Plus, I can see that happening. Oh yeah, it's gonna have to be part of like their promotion for it. And it's like oh yeah, and coming soon. I definitely have to assume it's gonna be their first show that they have uh, go live first original one uh, yeah because that's what's gonna get me in like i've already stated that like i'll take one for the team and purchase the the membership for this service also helps that you know having a small child that you know she also gets the benefit of all those disney movies there so you go it's kind of a win-win yeah there you go um but yeah like i came into this movie with kind of low expectations i was like i, I didn't think it was gonna be horrible but i wasn't expecting to be wowed and boy was i wowed you were wowed. I was. Oh, I so was, you liked it even though you don't see them make, making a sequel. Yeah. I mean, I understand like from a financial perspective like why this won't get very far. But I was thoroughly entertained. I went in thinking like, yeah, I hope it doesn't look too fake. Uh, within the first few scenes that we see Alita, yeah, I'm, I was sold. I didn't even think of her as a CGI character anymore. Which is funny because we saw it in the theater in, in our hometown that's not the best. Yeah, we didn't have the... It doesn't the, have the best projector. Yeah, the digital projection. I yeah. mean, it has the best seats probably. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, not the most high-tech one. So uh, I, I'm glad you liked it. I mean, uh, I, I also liked it. The cast alone is pretty star... like star-studded um rosa salazar not the biggest name yet but i think after you've seen this performance because it is her under in the mocap uh doing all the stuff all the acting she plays alita you have christoph waltz uh, jennifer connelly marshala ali ed skirin skrin if you remember him he plays ajax in deadpool and he was also dario in the first season the, the first or uh, second season in the first appearance, I think that the was first like appearance, yeah, third season, yeah, he played uh, Dario Naharis in Game of Thrones, and then he was replaced by some other dude because some like, Eric yeah. Bana looking dude. Yeah, it's kind of really different facially looking. I was like, wow, they really just like retconned that guy. <laughs> um, Jackie Earl Haley plays one of the main bad guys, uh, who was unrecognizable at the end oh, of it. Yeah. We were like, who, who did was, he play? Yeah, who was Jackie Earl? Oh, he was that big dude. Jeff Fahey, a name if you if you know that name. Uh, Lord Lana Condor, who's making a huge name for herself right now, uh, in a whole bunch of things. Um, she's in she's in Deadly Class on on Sci Fi Channel right now. Oh, if you watch yeah. that, um, Jorge Lindborg Jr., which was uh, one of the friends of the main character. He's he was re- most recently in Bumblebee. Oh, he was that guy. Yeah, Jeff Fahey. Uh, uh, one of the common collaborators with uh, Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, you mentioned that. The, oh, that's a lawnmower man. Yeah, the lawnmower yeah. man. Uh, Isa Gonzalez, she was most recently in uh, Baby Driver. And Derek Mears, uh, you might not recognize that name. You might not even recognize his face, but you've seen some stuff. He's, he's like one of the new Jasons, Jason Voorhees. Um, oh, he looks like a Jason. Yeah, he, he's uh, going to be in DC Universe's Swamp Thing. He's going to be playing Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. Again, being typecast because he does have a monster face. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. That's pretty cool. Uh, you were talking about Red River, or uh, Rooster Teeth. He's uh, a voice actor for for a, a character on Ruby. Um, oh, really? Who's he playing? Corsac Albane. Oh, I'm not sure which character that is. 
know. He played he played a Cree I'm character. Sure it's and a bad guy, shield. Though. Yeah, probably. Like he, like I said, you you might not recognize his name, you might not recognize his face, but he is he's been in a lot he's of things. He's doing stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. So, I just think that it was unfortunate. Oh, and then Hugo, which is the male lead for the, is played by a actor by the name of Keenan Johnson. Never heard of this guy before. I don't think I've ever seen his seen him before. Some you know of, who he reminds me of? Who's that? And this is kind of a. <clears throat> Kind of a random one. He reminds me of the guy from Hackers that gets busted for downloading the. Yeah, he does look like him a lot. He's yeah. also the that's also the kid that's in Bring It On and uh, Romeo and Juliet, the one with Leonardo yes. DiCaprio. Yeah, he plays. Uh, oh, what's the name of that character? The yeah, the, the little like butler kid essentially is. I think like, he was also in Time or Clock Stoppers. I think you're right. Yeah, so uh, he does look like him. Uh, if that guy had been had been younger, but or had yeah, you know what I meant. And <laughs> Jesse Bradford, that's his. That's the guy's name. The yeah, actor's name. that's the guy. But I was thinking like this: Keenan Johnson. Um, let's see. Oh, he doesn't born in nineteen ninety six, so that puts him what twenty three. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah. I can see him playing a uh, uh, Dick Grayson, Nightwing. You mentioned that, yeah. yeah. So, in what version though of like, I would assume that he would have he could play like the teenage version. Like if you if he were to ju- they cast him right now, like he could play the teenage version of the Boy Wonder of Robin. Mm. Like I could see that now. So it's still like post flying Grayson's basically, right? Exactly, and this is it. It'd be right before he became Nightwing. Oh. Now, if he waited longer, he would have to play Nightwing because. The older he gets, the you know, the more older he's going to look. So he has to play the older. He still version. does have a very baby face. He does still have a very baby face. So, which, you know, they're making it work for the guy that Brenton Thwaites that's that plays or Thwaites that plays uh, Dick Grayson on Titans. Like he's got a very baby face, but he's he's playing a much older Nightwing. He's or not much older. He's playing like a late twenties Nightwing, maybe mid twenties. Does Nightwing. he become Nightwing and throughout the season? Uh, well, not really like you see him he's he's trying to stop being robin throughout the season like he's already put the robin suit away but he puts it on every once in a while just to be just just because he needs to but he hasn't he has yet to adopt a nightwing throughout the first season he has yet to adopt a nightwing uh name or costume so his arc is going to be separating himself from under the bat yes more like that's that's pretty much his arc this whole first season Mm. he even burns his robin suit at one point he's like I can never go back to it. <laughs> so dramatic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I say if you like these type of things, you like sci-fi, you like uh, CGI robotic monsters and stuff like that. You like super cute girls with large eyes and robot hands. Sure. Go and watch Alita Battle Angel. But it's a I very could, specific fetish, but it's out there. <laughs> very specific. I can understand why people didn't like it or it's getting bad reviews. It's actually like, I think it's not 53% on Rotten Tomatoes if you take uh, Rotten Tomatoes at its for anything. So it's up to you. I think you should go see it. If I would have any complaint about it, it's only that it just felt very rushed. This was a very big story and it's almost like maybe 40 minutes was missing of like exposition or character development because things just kind of progress very rapidly true you you go from her being discovered in junk pile uh we're led to believe that she's been in this junk pile for 300 years 
Um, she's like very anime-ish, you know, the, the specialist of specials. Um, you know, where once there was a whole bunch of her, now she's the only one, apparently. Right. Which I'm sure if there's sequels, that she wouldn't be the only one. Yeah. Her, like, mentor or her whoever was, like... Which was played, voiced by Rob, Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. Like, that one also seems to be very prominent um, in, like, the story. We get only very small glimpses of the story of uh, Battle Angel or Alita, who I think her real name is only 99, Right. Or, At least that's all we're told. That's all we hear, yeah. And we find out that she's actually from like a Mars colony, so this means that there's been space colonization already going on. Yeah, and Mars is going against Earth. Yeah. Or at least the families that are, are like um, uh, in charge of Earth, own Earth, whatever you want yeah, to like, say. Yeah, I, I definitely got some... Uh, some vibes of like uh, altered carbon with that yeah having the floating city and mm-hmm. all the people want to be up there um and then everybody else works in their factories and stuff like that yeah and they do have like essentially like life augmentation in the form of basically like cyborg mm-hmm. uh, adaptations mm-hmm. um so there was a lot of really interesting stuff actually i didn't even make the connection with altered carbon at first but now that i'm thinking about it i'm like oh yeah there's a lot of that there yeah Life prolonging <laughs> is definitely a thing because the the main main bad guy is someone that's lived for at least three hundred years. Oh, who is played by? Well, I don't know if you want to say it's, it. Seemed like it was a very big surprise at the end. So I don't. I know mean, but they didn't do anything either. It's true. It's just kind of a reveal. It's just a reveal. So okay, if you don't want to know who's playing it, I don't know why. It's not like it. It. it it's a twist of anything. But three or just don't listen for the next ten seconds. Three, two, one. Edward Norton. Strange. Who has no lines. No lines. I don't believe. No. Although he does speak through other people. Yes. But does it's using those actors' voices. Yeah, it's using a little shtick there. Isn't it kind of funny now that uh, Jennifer Connelly played uh, Betty Ross and he played the Hulk, but in two different Two different movies. movies. Yeah. But see, that's the thing is that we... Comic book movies are becoming such a huge <laughs> thing is that like you can't get away from the fact that actors have been in comic book movies now it's gonna be the six degrees of kevin bacon now yeah but it's like three degrees like which comic book were they in and how can you (laughs) connect it back to them yeah exactly so yeah it's uh overall i really like the movie uh i completely understand why it's not working out though on the box office um i mean i would have been really surprised if this thing you know cracked any kind of records or anything but it is number one so it was number one in the box office for, weekend. for being a really slow weekend surprisingly went up against the lego movie the sequel and it did better that i did not see coming well i mean it didn't technically go up again it's because the lego movie came out the week before so the people that really wanted to see this lego movie part two went and saw it i mean and it only beat lego movie part two or the second piece or whatever it's called the second part is um by six million dollars because it made 27 million and was it 27 million is that what i said i think so yeah it made 27 million and uh lego made 21 million yeah that's domestically obviously yeah so maybe maybe alita will make more money worldwide overseas overseas yeah there could be uh all those aquaman people that are chomping at the bit for their next sci-fi oh fucking Fuck it, Aquaman. All that'd right. Be, that'd be like if, if it does make all kinds of money because of that and they decide to make a, a, 
a spinoff movie of just the murder ball. <laughs> just the just motor ball. Motor ball. But yes, it's definitely murder ball. It's it's murder ball in spirit. Uh, all right. If you have any input you'd like to share with us on either Alita Battle Angel or any of the stories we talked about today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Michipedia G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geekly Media. John is also on Twitter as... I am at Magic Bollocks, and even though it's already passed, uh, I'll still be your valentine. Okay. And <laughs> the rest of Geekly Media is at Geekly Media on Twitter, at Geekly Media on Instagram. Facebook.com forward slash Geekly Media is our Facebook page. And geeklymedia.com is our website. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geekly Media Network. Also, check out some of the articles we've been posting lately. John, hopefully, we'll have another article out this Tuesday. So, if you have any uh, insight into that, definitely check it out and get back to us. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geekly Media Network saying, always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program. This podcast has been brought to you by Cuts by Candice. Candice Gist is a hairstylist that listens to your needs and will work with you to get the right look for you. With 18 years of experience, Candice is the premier stylist that I trust with my look. And right now, if you mention this ad when you make an appointment from now until the end of February 2019 and give our promo code GEEKOUT, you will get 10% off your hair services. Follow Cuts by Candice on Facebook and Cuts underscore Candice on Instagram and start looking the best you you can.